Hi, everybody. I'm Josh Constein, your host of Press Club. And today we're talking about the future of immersive education, how virtual reality and augmented reality are helping people train to be surgeons, rocket scientists, manufacturers of any type of good, and helping us actually get jobs done in the field by overlaying instructions right in front of them or training people to do the most complex jobs in the world. We're joined today by Justin Barad, the CEO of Oso VR, a virtual reality surgeon training company, which just raised $27 million and helps improve surgeon performance by up to 300%, as well as Scott Montgomery, the CEO of Scope AR, an enterprise augmented reality training company, which helps people learn how to do things in the field by overlaying instructions right in front of them, as well as Lisa, a VP from Oso, who understands exactly what the health market needs from the virtual reality space, plus Wayne Hu, a, form, uh, a partner from SignalFire, uh, the venture fund where I work, uh, where we're investors in both Scope AR and Oso VR. So thank you guys so much. And so maybe you could tell us a little bit, Justin, about how we've seen this technology go from science fiction to science reality so quickly and what you were seeing as a surgeon yourself in terms of the need for this kind of technology. Luckily, I got involved in VR very early because of my gaming background. And I'm like, wow, this is an incredible solution. It's a problem. You can use it anytime, anywhere, train on any procedure, use your hands, and really became a big advocate for the technology. What was interesting is at that time, people looked at this and they're like, well, this is a video game. This is a toy. You can't use this to train people. And it was, you know, frankly laughed at a bit. So I kind of had to go out on my own and, you know, started Oso VR to try and solve this problem. And slowly and surely, we started to get a lot more traction. But over this past year, for, for obvious reasons, we went from a very bad problem in healthcare to a seemingly insurmountable one, which is how do we continue practicing doing the surgeries that we do? Because it's a very dynamic field, the field of, of surgical care and doing procedures. You are constantly being asked to do new and different things, deal with pathology and disease state you've never seen before. And so it's a really challenging thing to keep up with. Even when you, a lot of people think about hey, I just use this technology in training, and once I'm trained, I'm done. And that's not really the case. You're actually constantly training all the time because you're dealing with situations you've never seen before and new procedures are coming out at an accelerating pace. So we're in a situation where we couldn't physically get together, and the main way that we train and keep our skills fresh and learn new procedures is at these very large events where you have thousands of people all together and you're practicing on donated bodies and physical simulation. So suddenly what we were doing felt like a godsend to uh, a lot of people where, hey, here's a technology you can use and you can practice as much as you want and you can get people together remotely through VR. And, uh, you know, suddenly we saw this huge acceleration in the adoption. I mean, it just felt like a step function. And now where the technology used to be a, a bit of a, a joke and, and, you know, people would chuckle about it, now it's actually standard and kind of table stakes. It's interesting how quickly things can change. And just one more example, kind of a fun story of how crazy things can be, because I, I don't know if people watch like Grey's Anatomy or if people watch Scrubs back in the day, which is my favorite medical show, but things really are like even crazier in real life than they are on TV. And so like one day I was just sitting there minding my own business and we get this call that we're supposed to drive down to the zoo immediately because there's some gorilla that needs a surgery. They can't tell us what we just need to show up and do some kind of surgery on this thing. We're like, do you have the right number? This is UCLA. This is the human doctor hotline. <laughs> so ultimately we ended up 
driving down there, there was definitely a lot of Googling happening there. We're unsure if gorillas had bones like we do. They do. It's just like a really big leg. Um, we had to evacuate a couple of times. But, you know, this is just an example of situations we're dealing with on a daily basis, what I call gorilla-like situations, that it's just, it's pretty crazy what doctors have to deal with on a daily basis. And as best as we can, try and emulate that scene in the matrix and learn as fast as possible and just keep going and uh, kind of act as confident as you can in these situations. Yeah, it seems to be kind of crazy that you know, you have to either be performing this kind of training on like cadavers, which you know the stakes are pretty low, but still like the cost is high. You probably don't get that many reps. Uh, and then suddenly you're like thrust into the real thing. Did you find that like that was kind of scary when you were an orthopedic surgeon uh, having to deal with these kind of situations on the ground, especially procedures you maybe weren't so uh, comfortable with? And is it common for surgeons and doctors to actually be performing procedures that they maybe aren't that well trained on? Because that's what kind of always scared me is if there's some edge case, like, do they really know what's going on with this? Now, I'll caveat and say most surgery is safe and most surgeons are incredibly skilled. You know, the sacrifices that people have to make to get to the point of practicing surgeries is really unbelievable. And that being said, you know, you're dealing with very dynamic situations. And so sometimes when you're, quote, opening someone up, you don't know necessarily what you're going to find. So you can have the best plan in the world and be as prepared as you're going to be. And you open them up and you're like, whoa, okay, well, we're going to have to deal with this in some way, shape or form. Or even sometimes have the experience to be like, you know what, we need to back out and kind of readjust the plan and actually kind of abort the surgery, which is a rare thing, but I've, I've seen a couple of times. And then, you know, sometimes you're in a situation where, you know, what if you're working at a remote hospital and it's an emergency case and you're the only person there. And so you have to find a draw a line that you can draw for yourself where, hey, if it crosses this line, I'm not going to do this. I need to send the person out. It's not ideal, but I don't feel comfortable here. And we all have that. But most times you're like, this is within sort of the sphere of what I can do. I haven't done it very much, but I will reassure this patient as much as I can. Like, I mean, literally have printouts taped up in the OR um, and prepare as much as humanly possible because I, I want to do this safely and I want to do what's right for the patient. You do deal with these, um, especially in fields where you're dealing with emergency cases, which a lot of us do, and you can't plan around it. Sometimes uh, surgery will be going on and you'll be called in while it's going and you'll just have like a couple of minutes to prepare. And that's that's how crazy it can really get. So I would say it is it, it is not uncommon to be thrust into situations where you are uh, not as prepared as you'd like to be. So tell me a little bit about how 2D training works traditionally, like learning from books versus learning through your program. Like how exactly does OsoVR train people so that they can do these surgeries confidently? You know, outside of, of hands-on training, which is, I guess, split into just practicing on people, you know, just getting the reps in on patients, which is suboptimal, you know, and then, like you said, we, we have cadavers, which itself is like an amazing thing that people donate their bodies for us to practice on. And I think sometimes we lose sight of how incredible that is. And it leads to some weird situations, honestly, where it's like sometimes we're in these cadaver labs and there's like a taco bar right next to it. And it's like, oh, hey, have snacks and then practice this surgery. And I'm like, I feel like we're getting a little too comfortable here, but <laughs> that's terrifying. And hopefully um, nobody on here is getting surgery. Once again, all surgery is safe. You know, most surgeons are very good, but the tacos aren't in the operating room. This is during practice on cadavers, but still, the- uh, I think you're on to something. I, I, I would work at that hospital. No, I'm, <laughs> but uh, yeah, some, some really interesting stories here where like sometimes these take place in hotel ballrooms and you have like weddings or bar mitzvahs the next day. So it's kind of, kind of wild how um, it works today, but outside of that and that the hands-on training component, you know, you're really looking at textbooks, illustrations, and then videos. I think, you know, there are some, some 2D apps that are kind of like slightly interactive animations or slideshows. 
But sometimes those are actually not as helpful as, as maybe just a list of steps. That is one of the things that's the highest yield. This may like shock people, but surgery is a lot like baking. Or you could think of it as like a piece of music where you're just kind of going through a series of steps. And, you know, if something goes wrong, then you do a different series of steps to kind of get you out of it. But it's really the better you know those steps and have them fully memorized and can kind of just almost like you memorize a piece of music, do it automatically, then you could get through the procedure pretty smoothly because you know the building blocks, you know how to play the notes. You just need to know your part and everyone else in the room needs to be able to play their part. It's a team sport. It's like a symphony. There are like eight people in there. So, you know, we'll pair together videos and reading. Usually everybody has kind of their people that they go to. So we're like a highly social field. So we'll usually, you know, if there's a case we're kind of worried about, it's very common to call or text someone, be like, hey, you know, you're prepared as much as you're going to be. Then you're going to kind of like call a friend and be like, you know, what do I need to look out for? Any tips, tricks? And so that's kind of the old way of doing things. And that in a way is kind of like where I think where Scott's technology comes in a bit, which we could talk to in a little bit. But, you know, with Oso VR, what's exciting about it is you put on this off the shelf $300 headset that pretty much anybody can get now from Amazon or Best Buy. And suddenly you're in a virtual operating room. You can do it by yourself or I could connect with you or a surgical expert from across the country. So instead of calling my buddy to ask him what he should do. He could jump into Oso with me, you know, and I could do this from my card. Literally, you can do it from anywhere. Very commonly, we're doing it in the OR in between cases. And then we're running through the case. We're doing the, getting that muscle memory. We're getting assessment on the ability to do things right and accurately. And also we're getting assessed on the ability to memorize the steps of the procedure efficiently. And we can basically role play. So like, if I'm going to be the head surgeon on the case, can my first assist can they run through their steps correctly? And are we sort of like going through that in a way that when we actually come into the operating room, it's like we practice before and it's not like you're showing up to play pickup basketball, which is ideally not what you want. You want it to be more like an NBA game where everybody has set plays, they're used to playing together and they understand the rhythm. And that's a whole other issue of the team variability we have. So once you have this ability, we also have analytics you can review and your sort of coaches and mentors can review to make sure everybody in the room is ready to go, uh, that you're across the proficiency threshold. The exciting area for me as a physician is when you're in the OR, you can then transition to other technologies. I think one example is Scope AR, where you can have someone remotely kind of mentor or observe what you're doing through mobile AR or a holographic headset display. So for example, if I was calling Mauricio, and I, he's my go-to guy oftentimes when I'm doing trauma cases. I still operate, by the way, on weekends, though. I wouldn't recommend getting surgery for me unless you really needed it. <laughs> I haven't heard of anyone doing surgery as a side hustle, Justin. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. So instead of just calling Mauricio, I'd have Mauricio join me in Oso. We'd run through the case together. He'd kind of point out some things about the OR setup, pin placement, et cetera. And then in the actual surgery, I could put on a HoloLens or I could bring my iPhone with me and he could watch what I'm doing. I could call him up mid-surgery and, and he could annotate and tell a mentor and kind of like guide me and I could bring my coach with me to the OR, right? That's kind of the, the missing link. And Tuol Gawande, if you guys have read some of his work, he talks a lot about the lack of coaching in healthcare and how important it is to bring our teachers with us. And so these technologies like Scope AR and like Oso really connect us to each other and kind of bring coaching 
back into the forefront of our field rather than, I mean, literally the way it works is, you know, once you're done after your five to six years of formal training, you're like on an island, you're on your own. And it's kind of scary. And it's not exactly what we want as providers. We constantly want to be learning and growing. So this is a great way to keep us connected because it's just physically so hard. We're all so busy for someone to come to my operating room and watch me. It's just not feasible. Okay, so I want to know a little bit more about how well does this actually improve surgeon performance and then a little bit about like your recent news. Lisa, maybe you could just talk us through how does this impact surgeons' performance? Yeah, I can talk to you a little bit about it. We've done some clinical studies that really demonstrate the improvement and we've really seen results go from 230% to 306% overall in surgical performance relative to traditional training. So that's something that's super exciting for us. Not only is the experience in virtual reality very lifelike, very realistic, but it's actually effective in terms of the results that we're seeing with surgeons. And so now you guys have just raised a a big funding round now to be able to expand this. And maybe you could tell us like sort of the scope of Oso before we get into Scope AR itself with Scott. You know, our mission at OSO is to improve patient outcomes with better education and assessment. And and like Lisa said, imagine if your surgeon was operating 230% better, 306% better. We're even getting data back from the operating room where surgeons who are using OSO have brought their operating room time from three hours and 30 minutes to two hours and 40 minutes, like cutting it in half. And Obviously, you don't want your surgeon like rushing and you want them going through confidently, but OR time is directly tied to almost every patient outcome. So, you know, just imagine that, you know, that anxiety of waiting outside the OR, it's 50% less of that. So that's the kind of real world impact we can have. The second part of our mission is increasing the adoption of higher value medical technology. So everyone's really excited about robotics. A lot of patients are now asking me, hey, can we do the surgery in a robotic fashion? I feel safer with technology involved, it's, which is interesting. Uh, attitudes have changed a lot. The thing is that these newer technologies that are really awesome for, for us as patients because we get more consistent results are a lot harder to learn. And so by decreasing the barrier to entry, decreasing the learning curve for these technologies, we can increase their adoption and their proper utilization. And then finally, democratizing access to healthcare all around the world. You know, wherever you are, either as a provider or a patient, you deserve access to the very best procedures done in the most effective way. So for us, what we're trying to do, the ultimate goal of what we view as mission accomplished is, I mean, literally there are 30 million healthcare professionals around the world, the World Health Organization estimates that perform procedures on patients. And we would like every single one of them, no matter what that procedure is, whether you're putting in an IV or doing complex robotic surgery, to be training at on OsoVR as their go-to hub for training and assessment for procedures and surgery in healthcare, and thus improving the care of the 5 billion plus people around the world by... 230, 306% potentially based on the research. That's what we're doing now. The point we are at the company is the technology works. The market and the need is there. And we have built a foundation that is scalable. So we've built a scalable solution that allows us to extend this to nearly any procedure in healthcare. So we are ready to scale and to bring this to the masses. And that's what this $27 million Series B is all about. Amazing. 
So with that, I want to kick it over to Scott and hear a little bit about what's going on on the augmented reality side. It seems like virtual reality is incredibly helpful for when you need a fully immersive environment, when you might be training for working in groups of people like you are in an operating room, and when you have sort of time to do things on your own beforehand. But when it comes to actually working in the field or on the line, building something, having those instructions overlaid right in front of your real view of the world seems super helpful. So Scott, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about like what scope AR is and how has the field of AR training and AR instruction for workers improved over the last few years to be something really powerful? Because I think a lot of people said, you know, oh, VR and AR, like, oh, there's been a ton of hype about them, but, you know, penetration of headsets has been relatively low. The rollouts have been pretty slow. There's a few great VR games, not a lot really going on in AR glasses for consumers just yet. But meanwhile, there's been this sort of much quieter, but very critical explosion in the value of that these things can provide in the enterprise, specifically to things like training with VR with Oso and with AR with you. So tell us a little bit about how Scope AR works and how it's improving. Yeah, absolutely. And congrats, Justin. It seems just like, you know, yesterday when we were doing due diligence calls for each other's investors and, you know, now here we are. So congrats on the huge milestone. Thanks, man. No problem. I think, yeah, Josh, you described it really, really well. You know, I, I think when you, you know, VR is really great when you need an immersive experience. You need like almost that emotional presence to be with people and, you know, really feel uh, in high fidelity, AAA content, you know, understanding how to do a procedure. And, you know, for us, we want to train on the physical asset. We want to give you these animations and overlay 3D models on top of a piece of equipment to show you how to perform a procedure. So this could be anything from, you know, training on, on an oil well to showing how to build a, a spacecraft to on-the-job training. You know, this technology is so efficient that you can get support and just it shows you step-by-step step in front of you how to perform some type of procedure. You actually don't need all that much training. If you have the, the basic, you know, building blocks, uh, it'll show you the exact procedure on, on how to do things. So, you know, we've got customers across a wide variety of industries from, you know, aerospace to power generation to life Sciences. We actually share a couple of common customers with OSA VR, to data centers, to semiconductor. So, you know, really it's all about communicating that knowledge in the most effective way possible to a frontline worker. You don't want to be stuck in a classroom, you know, your retention on going through manuals and, you know, the old way of doing things. You mentioned the two-dimensional content. In a three-dimensional world, you really want a mechanism to communicate that three-dimensional set of instructions. And that's what we do. So we did that through a scalable platform. So this is called WorkLink. It's a web-based platform. We kind of like to call it you know, PowerPoint for augmented reality. The idea being that it's very easy to use, drag and drop, no code. You bring in 3D models into this platform. And if you don't have those CAD models, which is you know, a common hiccup, now with scanning technologies like the F112, it makes it really easy to scan that piece of equipment. And then you add simple animations to show how to do something. So it could be as simple as, you know, you see a, a screwdriver fly in and then remove the screw, and then that loosens up this, this housing, and, you know, the housing pops up and then reveals a, a wire harness in, in, in there, and then it shows you how to wire it, wire it or something like that. You know, it's really, really intuitive instruction. And the key to our success is really the scalability. So, you know, being able to, uh, you know, quickly create instructions to give out to your frontline workforce. 
And then with COVID, yeah, part of the platform is uh, the remote expert side of things. So you've got your frontline technician seeing these instructions while simultaneously broadcasting what you see on your camera back to somebody who's maybe at home, maybe sitting in a call center to support you. And now they can interact with you with you know, simple annotations. You know, Justin mentioned uh, it would be possible for you know, somebody in surgery to get remote mentorship through a HoloLens. You know, that's what we do, but across a wide variety of industries. So you know, with COVID, when you couldn't train people looking over your shoulder, this became very, very valuable. You know, now you didn't want to co-locate, you didn't want to get on airplanes, but we still needed to accomplish this training. So now people can drop 3D models on your floor or on, on a training bay or on an actual piece of equipment and then receive remote guidance on, on these training scenarios. And so, you know, you're really improving the efficiency across a wide variety of metrics. That's kind of, in essence, what we do. That's amazing because I can imagine that if something goes wrong or something's unexpected or you just sort of forget what to do, you know, having somebody like walking around in these factories, especially something like building an airplane, it's going to be a huge hanger. It's probably going to be very disruptive to like find the right person to ask the question to. Whereas if you could just, you know, immediately kind of radio into the a coach who can look over your shoulder virtually through the augmented reality device and say, oh yeah, no, this is what you do next. And you can get right back to it. They could help and just sort of do that service for tons of people. And you're basically turning, putting mentorship into the cloud, it seems like. That's exactly what we're doing. I think as things have gotten more complex, the knowledge required to perform these procedures has necessarily gotten more complex. And our brains are only so, so large. We really can't be an expert in everything. Generally, we're experts in only very small things. So yeah, if you're a frontline technician and you're constantly coming up against problems, uh, you can't possibly be expected to understand how to problem solve this every single time. But somebody knows how to do it. And so our mission is to essentially uh, allow you to connect with that person and give you a mechanism to transfer that knowledge between that expert to the frontline technician as efficiently as possible. I also imagine that there's probably a lot of those sort of dirty, dangerous jobs where maybe you know, the people who have the knowledge and have done this forever are kind of aging out of the workforce and there's maybe younger people out there in the field doing it. And this might allow them to sort of bring that knowledge back because I think there's a huge concern actually in, in the US that some of our infrastructure is starting to fail, but the people who actually understand how to fix it or repair it aren't really doing the jobs anymore. So can this help with that? Yeah, I mean, you've got somebody who's, who's at you know, their functional end of the lifespan of where they can get out there and crawl on their hands and knees, and it's just not going to work anymore. So rather than get them to retire, you can put them back in, in use where their knowledge can continue to be used. You can encode their knowledge in our platform with these step-by-step -step instructions to semantically communicate that to the next generation or allow them to get real-time support or both. So, you know, that's really the, you know, the crux of, of what Scopier brings to the table. And now are you people using like glasses for doing this? Are they like holding up their phones? Like what is the device that this is being passed along? I've seen, I've seen like smart helmets that have visors built into them. Like what, what platform are you sort of uh, passing this knowledge through? Yeah, so we're platform agnostic, and we made that choice uh, pretty early. We felt like the smart glasses market was going to mature fairly slowly, and you know we wanted to bring this to as many people as we possibly could. So it really depends on use case for us. If you're out in the field, you're probably not going to carry a, you know, a really expensive $3,000 headset that could get dirty or broken or, or lost or something like that. But you do have a phone. And so, you know, it's pretty easy to bring your phone out, broadcast your, your camera to an expert, uh, receive those instructions, and that works. Or, you know, one of the great use cases we have is actually sales training. 
So we have sales reps that are actually whipping out their phone. They're dropping a really complex piece of equipment on the ground in the room next door to where they're making a sale. They're going through that really quick competency training, similar to, to how Justin's doing surgery training right before the surgery and getting really up to speed with that piece of equipment and how to accomplish the sale. Now they're refreshed and then they go make the sale. And we've seen massive improvements in, in, in that. So then here's your uh, really complex use cases. There's, you know, how to maintain uh, aircraft or spacecraft. There's, you know, data center where you've got thousands and thousands of wires where you need to understand which one is the correct one to, to pull and replace. So, you know, with that, um, necessarily you want something a little bit better. The environment lends, uh, lends itself much uh, nicer to you know, something like a, a HoloLens where it's a clean facility. You're not very far away from a cabinet where you can store these things. They're not going to get lost or broken. So, you know, it really depends, but we're, we're definitely seeing quite a maturation of the, uh, the smart glasses market. There's numerous glasses being released this year. And, you know, I, I think we're really going to start seeing a, a real pivot towards headsets. But, you know, we're, we're there from your, your basic smartphones, your Android phones, uh, all the way through the, the really complex devices. Okay, so I want to kick it over to Wayne and hear a little bit more about why you invested in these companies. And if you want to get uh, signed up for the, the podcast version of this talk and our other talks, including awesome ones with the founders of companies like Facebook, Patreon, Slack, Substack, Cameo, as well as like WordPress and a ton of other awesome companies. We've got great podcasts to share with you, plus our newsletter of some of the top takeaways from our talks. You can go to constein.club. It's my last name. You can find it in my profile or just search for press club with Josh Constein on the internet and you will find it. Please join us, get those first heads ups about our new shows as well as the follow-up content. We would love to have you part of the clubhouse and press club community. Okay. So with that, Wayne, tell me a little bit about your thesis around this space because you're an investor uh, with me at, at Signal Fire, the fund where I work. You are a partner there who's invested in both of these companies. Tell me about your vision for immersive training and how ed tech is going to evolve to in involve these kind of concepts of augmented reality and virtual reality. It's funny, we at Signify actually were really bearish on VR and AR businesses when we first met Justin and Scott back in 2017. You know, we had studied the technology and quickly came to the conclusion that VR businesses, they just don't work for four reasons. And I'll talk a lot about why also in scope are, are such exciting exceptions. Number one, the hardware is just not ready to deliver transformational experience, right? As evidence from the nausea that you get from, you know, the motion photon latency. Number two, there's just no content. Three, there's no user base for the headsets. And four is just the friction of use. And one of the things that was so striking about also uh, in Scope is that they didn't suffer from any of these problems. So on the hardware side, both of them, they're tackling kind of the perfect use case. Surgery, for example, is a cockpit experience where you don't have to move dramatically. So it's not as demanding on the hardware as, say, hardcore gaming. On number two, on the content side, also is focused on specialized content that's not infinite, you know, like a VR world, for example. You only have so many techniques and you can swap in different CAD models to almost any procedure to kind of reskin it like a game, kind of like a, a Farmville Zynga model. And yet it requires deep domain expertise, which um, Justin sort of combines at the highest level on the gaming and the practitioner side. And you can actually build a business that is not, it's not like a content development studio because you have sort of those base techniques automated and you could sort of combine them in ways to generate sort of new modules. On the third piece on the user base for, for the headsets, enterprises are more than willing to spend if you can solve a big problem for them. A thousand dollar headset, which I guess now is, is closer to a few hundred dollars a pop, that's a meaningful amount of, of money for a consumer and absolutely nothing for a large Fortune 500 company if you can improve the bottom line in sales. We're talking about millions and potentially billions of dollars 
there's actually great precedent here. Med device companies in the past, they actually bought iPads for every sales rep to help them train and sell better. That's something that you could subsidize the cost of that hardware into SaaS pricing very easily. And then the fourth, you know, friction of use, this is actually lower friction than going to, as Justin mentioned, a cadaver surgery session, or you know, as a med device rep, you know, trying to convince a doc to get in your car and drive 30 minutes and you know, go somewhere and uh, operate in some sawbones and have a beer. Uh, I would never get in my rep's car. <laughs> Especially the um, shady reps that, uh, that you were working <laughs> with at Harvard. <laughs> and you know, once you're installed in sort of areas of high use, hospitals, rep training centers, you can get a lot more volume of people trying this without the friction of the setup, the storage, and all of that. I spoke a lot about also, I think uh, it's sort of the topic for discussion, but scope, you know, I think you could go through a similar exercise. I think that's part of what got us excited. But at the same time, both also and scope are taking advantage of the superpower of AR and VR, which is, you know, teleportation and visualization. And if you think about the most expensive people we fly around the country who have the highest opportunity cost in their time, right? Surgeons have got to be on the top of that list as well as technicians who you'd have to helicopter around the country to fix complex machinery, you know, in the case of scope. So that was a, a bit of the framework of how there's a lot of landmines in the VR and AR business that, that really prevent them from, from being successful. And I think, you know, these guys have, have sort of found the, the perfect use cases that, you know, at this point, I think are becoming, you know, I think the world's catching on that, you know, it's a fantastic fit for the technology. Maybe you could just run us through quickly that thesis around how AR is, is so primed for something like this and why the enterprise, especially you know, on the ground field workers, really benefit from something like this and why AR is the right solution and why you think that there's going to be big businesses built here. So I'd love to anchor to the use case, which Scott has heard me talk about so many times. But you know, imagine you're in the middle of a field in Alaska and your backhoe loader breaks down in the middle of the night. You're paying a crew 40 downtime and you're probably paying tens of thousands of dollars per hour for this complex piece of machinery. Best practice is to helicopter Fred, the master technician from Caterpillar Central to your field in Alaska, which will, you know, will take you however many hours. Well, what if instead you could just whip out your phone, you know, have somebody on the field, go over to that, to that backhoe loader and, um, and put their phone up and see, you know, and have somebody who have Fred, the master technician, just walk them through exactly what you need to do. This is something that, the ROI on that is, is in the millions. And it just um, it's a use case that makes complete sense. I think we all can kind of connect with the challenge of trying to explain to your mother how you can, you know, how to use their computer or you know, how to reset their modem on the internet. And it's painstaking for something that simple on the phone. Well, imagine that times a thousand for you know, a backhoe loader you know, or a wheeled excavator. And so you really do need that visual interface and um, a way to interact with that master technician who can then overlay instructions, who can tell you kind of how things work visually and annotate in real time. Scott has heard me say this before, and you know, he, he'll kill me for saying it, but in some ways, what's so cool about that, the power of that is um, the technology is, is there and it's not dependent on HoloLens or any of the other headset manufacturers in the sense that use case is kind of like Snapchat for the enterprise, where you can think of annotations as kind of like emojis. 
or something of that of that sort. I don't know if you, any of you in the audience has ever tried to help like your parents fix some piece of technology over the phone and how much easier it got when you could actually FaceTime them. It's like, I wish I could just give them like augmented reality glasses and I could see exactly what they're seeing because it's like, no, 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 I'm pressing the button. It's like, no, 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 that's a button in the bottom left. You're looking at the top right. Like, you know, it's just, it's such a nightmare. <laughs> and so I, I can only imagine that hopefully one day that technology will come home to all of us. But I think one of the biggest issues around all of this that I'm so excited about is reskilling because the world is changing so fast now. New jobs are being created. Oftentimes people, when you enter college, the, you know, the jobs that are the best jobs don't even necessarily exist yet. Uh, and are only, and so a few years later, you may need to completely reskill yourself. And we're seeing a bunch of technologies that are uh, turning old jobs obsolete, things like self-driving cars and how they're going to affect truck drivers. Uh, and I think that we really need to find ways to help people reskill in the middle of their careers better. And Justin, I know that that's a real big passion for you guys in thinking about how career liquidity comes into play here. So maybe you could just talk to us about how these kind of training uh, devices and immersive training is really going to help us make sure that we don't end up with a huge amount of unemployed people because the job that they trained for 15 years ago no longer exists. Yeah, I think it's a great question. And, um, you know, one additional point you just reminded me of back in peak quarantine, I have vivid memories of having to FaceTime with people and walk them through doing some procedures on themselves because they couldn't go into the hospital to get care. So I wish I kind of uh, actually called Scott for that in retrospect, but- uh, You totally should have. <laughs> <laughs> it's all, all dawning on me, but uh, you know that uh, Paranikia uh, IND went pretty well, surprisingly. Anyways, I think this is a really interesting topic. Like I have to imagine everybody's feeling this, that people are just much more mobile in their careers. You can see entire industries sort of sprout up and disappear seemingly overnight. So this idea of just working in one job for your entire life, which is really how our education system is set up, is less and less how things work on a day-to-day -day basis. And it's becoming less about degrees and more about skills. And so the technology I'm seeing that's like ours in other spaces or Scott's technology at Scopey, and you know, what it enables people to do is to learn so rapidly, you could conceivably move and have a lot more mobility between different skill sets and different jobs much more easily. And, and certainly as the technology develops over time, you could just see that barrier to entry go down and down where it's might not be such a big deal to jump between different skill sets and different careers, especially technical ones. And one other thing I'm seeing that firsthand in medicine in particular that I'm so personally excited about is there's so many careers in medicine, but they're, they're very opaque. And it's hard to understand even what's out there or how to set up your life to kind of get involved and get into it. So what you end up seeing is a lot of people that are coming into the system are people who grew up around other people that did these things. So that's why you see so many kind of like, oh, well, my mom's a doctor, my dad's a doctor, my mom's a surgeon kind of thing. Because you grow up seeing that and you envision yourself, you're like, hey, if they can do it, I can do it. Or if people in your peer group, but that leaves a lot of people out. And there are a lot of groups who don't grow up with those people and have no idea that these are options. Or Because a lot of people are like, oh, I don't really want to be a doctor. And then they see what we do in orthopedics. They're like, what the heck is that? That's amazing. You know, it's like a Ikea furniture and power tools with people. That's incredible. So, um, you know, that's oftentimes the reaction we get when we have like, you know, college students observing or medical students. So what's exciting about these technologies is the ability to do what's called career exploration. So at a very young age, you know, when you're middle school, high school, even in college, you can try out different careers firsthand. You can be there, you can do it. And then you can decide like, hey, is what is this? This is amazing. I want to figure out how to get involved. And 
you can set yourself up for success so much earlier because of that awareness and, and use these technologies for career preparation as well so you can be more successful. So I'm hopeful that underrepresented groups, I think an endemic issue in orthopedic surgery is the representation of women in particular. It's something like in 2014, last time I checked, there were 4% of practicing orthopedic surgeons were women, which is kind of insane to think about. So there's research that shows that earlier you expose them in medical school or even college, the more likely they are to apply and get in. So that's something we're really pushing for. And we actually did an open innovation challenge with the U.S. Department of Education on this very issue of career exploration that we ended up winning, which is so exciting. And so we do an event with them, I'll just end on this, every year where middle school and high school kids come and just try different technologies in education. And every single kid that tries OsoVR says, I wanna be a surgeon, I wanna do this. And that gives me goosebumps, it's so exciting. And I really think that's a big part of kind of this next generation of being able to jump between different careers, but also knowing that you can do it. Anyone can do what I do. Hopefully that's the takeaway from this. If, you know, I can be a surgeon on weekends, you can be a surgeon too, especially with supporting technologies like what we have at Oso and what Scott's developing at Scope AR. I feel like the only career like exploration I got as a kid was that like mission to Mars thing that a lot of like public school kids did where like they'd take you to this simulator and you'd get to try out, you get like basically assigned some job and you're like, oh, cool. Can I be an astronaut or like a planetary geologist or a pilot or something like that? And it turns out there's not a lot of those jobs out there. So I feel like some more practical career exploration could be good. Though you did mention orthopedic surgery being like Ikea for people with power tools. And I guess that actually sounds pretty accurate because I don't really think of my body as a, as a sanctuary or a temple. It's definitely more like a, an Ikea couch. Uh, <laughs> but okay, Scott, maybe you could talk to us. I'm like, you're, you're, you're a crate and barrel, Josh. <laughs> I'm like what you get off of Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> Scott, I, I want to ask you, there's so many of these jobs that are actually really good in terms of their compensation, but that require some like specific, very specific training. Have you found that with things like Scope AR that people who maybe didn't have like a four-year college education or went through the trade school programs or something else can actually get some of these great paying jobs? Because as long as they can do a great job of following the instructions through the headsets, knowing when they need to ask questions, they can be great at whatever this field job is, even without a ton of expensive education, which can put people in massive like life crippling debt. That is one of the fantastic benefits of this technology is just how rapidly it transfers knowledge into your brain. I mean, you're using the visual cortex, which is you know the, the most powerful um, piece of your brain to be able to experience the world. And so literally beaming information visually into your brain and, and allowing you to understand these things. So for you know the physical trades, we've got customers that have been able to reduce their time from first installation uh, by half. You know, one of the great case studies we, we just launched was, you know, a customer was able to take their average training time from first hire to first install from four months to down to two months. So, you know, they're able to, uh, you know, really rapidly uh, bring in, you know, people without skills and then get them out and being productive much more effectively. Then they're using the same content to support those those uh, uh, new installers out in the field. If they do run it into an unexpected situation, that same content can be reused and calling back to an expert as we as we described. We talk a lot about the creator economy here on Press Club, and I'm fascinated. You've created this kind of PowerPoint for like a composer for building these augmented reality training modules. Are you seeing like anybody becoming almost like a star creator in the space? Just like, you know, some Fred, the master builder or, you know, Amy, the master builder going through and just like building, you know, these these modules to teach all of their knowledge and just like give it away before they retire or something like that. I would love to see some like star creator in the augmented reality world not be 
someone just building, you know, like augmented reality face filters, but for Snapchat, but like training a generation to how to do new jobs. We haven't seen that yet, but you know, one of the the models that we're uh, we're working with is an agency model, and so we are training agencies to be you know really good experts. So a lot of times when we engage with uh, with customers, uh, you know, uh, they they don't want to develop an internal uh, competency to to create content. So you know, they'll come to us and say, "Hey, this is great. We we don't want to you know create it ourselves. You know, we, we want really high quality content that you guys want to create." And we'll say, "You know, that's that's not really our business model." But here, this is Gold Star uh, partner we've got that we we can refer you to, and so we've got six or seven of those of those partners now kind of worldwide that are now trained. And a lot of them have specialties. Some are in the CPG space, some are uh, aerospace, and really understand the content. And so when you come as a customer and need this stuff built out, they already really have context to it. So, And yeah, definitely in the future, it is my dream to be able to democratize this. We're, we're thinking about uh, launching a, a free version right away. So yeah, that creator uh, economy, that wonderkind expert you know, training you on how to uh, maintain your bicycle or change the spark plugs on your Honda CRV, that is totally in the future. Okay, so I want to hear, just open it up and ask you guys all about what are some use cases that you find super exciting, some cutting edge stuff happening in the AR and VR training world, but maybe also some opportunities for new startups and things that you're looking for or hope that people build to complement what you guys are building at, at Oso VR and Scope AR. I think one of the things that I'm seeing more and more of acceleration, at least in the VR space, is the idea of soft skills. So what we're focused on at Oso right now, certainly you can practice these soft skills, which is for people who aren't familiar, the idea of communication, teamwork, leadership, these things that are very important to do team-based tasks with most, thing we do, most things we do today is um, where we're focused on, can you put this you know, metal pin in the right place and the screws in the right place, make the incision appropriately and at the appropriate depth. So that's much more hard skills and technical, right? And so I'm seeing a lot of traction with companies like Tailspin, for example, where they're really working on, okay, what about training people and just how to communicate with one another within a team or with customers? And, you know, I, I think that's really interesting in my space, certainly, as well. Like, who hasn't had a doctor who doesn't have the best bedside manner in the world, right? And so it's pretty interesting. Actually, in medical school, they would hire actors for us to, every other week, we'd get to sit down with an actor and we'd be like, you know, I'm, I'm very sorry to tell you that you have a rash on your right buttock and, you know, they freak out on you and then you got to kind of handle the situation appropriately. And you know, these are people, like, I, this was in at UCLA, so, like, these are people who want to be serious Hollywood actors. So this, like, the intensity with which these people were upset about their skin rashes did not really line up with the real world. Obviously, some people are pretty anxious, but they were going for the Oscar. And so it's an interesting system. And, you know, I get what people are going for. But if you're having trouble being empathetic and communicating with other human beings and, you know, communicating bad news, doing it once every other week is probably not going to cut it for you for like 30 minutes. But having a tool that you can use repeatedly with a, a large variety of either AI or real people that to me can really start to make a dent in what I think is a very important area because both in terms of burnout, quality of life, quality of the experience from the patient or the customer standpoint, these are really important things to do in addition to the hard skills that are necessary to perform a lot of these more sophisticated technical jobs. That's great to hear that that's happening because my father's a pediatric radiation oncologist, which means he ends up dealing with 
children with cancer and trying to talk to a kid about, you know, what's going to happen, especially if they have term, if they're terminally ill is incredibly difficult. And I just always admired that he had a pocket full of Hershey's kisses and he'd do that little magic trick where he'd pull one out from behind your ear. And I saw him do this with so many patients, even when he would just see them out in the middle of the, like the, in the, in the streets in our hometown. And that made such a difference. And the, you know, the, the stories we'd hear from people, you know, of course they were about him being a great doctor, but the biggest part of it wasn't just like him being great at applying radiation to kill cancer. It was making people feel confident that they could get through their cancer. And so I, I definitely agree that that huge space of soft skills is so important and often gets neglected and I don't think is really tested for properly. You know, frequently when we think of like examinations or, you know, med school, business school, anything like that, that's not the stuff you necessarily learn. You learn the, the hard skills. And so great to see some more innovation happening there. Lisa and Scott would love to hear if you guys have some other places that you think you're either seeing some really great cutting edge uses of AR and VR training tech or some opportunities that you would love to see a startup fill? So I, I think there's lots of foundational tech to come, especially in the AR space. I mean, AR glasses, uh, HoloLens is great and stuff, but, you know, there's a lot of improvement there uh, before they become ubiquitous and, you know, we're, we're okay wearing, the, you know, a, a sunglasses form factor uh, to be able to realize the vision that we, we can all see coming, but it's just really hard to create those glasses. And there's just so many technologies that come into it. I mean, Facebook uh, is, is pouring, you know, billions, something like 10,000 people are, are, are working on this problem right now. Microsoft has, has invested billions. Magic Leap, you know, the only successful uh, startup in the space has raised, you know, about $3 billion. Uh, so it's really expensive and there's just a lot of stuff there. But then on the other side of things, you know, I think there's a, a lot of opportunities to uh, build businesses uh, that build on top of what we've built. So, for example, I just had a, re a renovation uh, in my house and it was painful. It was during COVID. But the, the inefficiency in that contractor was just horrible. So, I mean, there's lots of efficiencies you could improve upon just by have proper project management and billing. But the simple act of him coming down and doing uh, inspections, you know, every day to make sure that his work crew was uh, performing properly was completely uh, useless and, a, and a horrible waste of time. And just the number of iterations we went through to, you know, design my closet, my bathroom, it would have been so simple for him to use our technology to design that stuff, to maybe send me a HoloLens or even on my phone, just be able to see on top of that, that design of the, of the closet and uh, then, you know, eliminate the travel, uh, iterate much more quickly, and then be able to monitor how his guys were, uh, were, were performing and get the, the job done much better. You know, that's just one example of a business that could be completely revolutionized by adopting this technology. You mentioned the creator economy. I think there's a, you know, an incredible opportunity there. Just scanning 3D, 3D objects, building a, a library of, you know, all all the things that are in a factory floor on a piece of, of machinery, building those procedures, you know, building an entire business around that library, I think is, there's lots of opportunity there. So innovation just keeps building on, on things. I think we've provided one of the basic foundational building blocks, kind of like PowerPoints uh, is a method of communication, and you can build tremendous businesses uh, on top of, of the technology we've built. Lisa, I'd love to hear, you know, you as a VP at Oso surely talk to a ton, a ton of customers and hear a lot about what they're looking for. What are some other stuff maybe in healthcare that you're seeing the big companies in the healthcare space are demanding to help improve the training of their employees or just to make the, you know, the entire process for patients better? I'd say not only in healthcare, but across the board, I think this past year, as everyone has been remote and thinking about how to collaborate remotely, I think Enterprise meetings or meetings in VR is such a huge opportunity. I think people are getting very used to Zoom and getting into Zoom and have some of that Zoom fatigue. But the big opportunity that we've seen is actually having meetings with people in virtual reality in the operating room and actually having those 
face-to-face interactions, even though they're virtual, it really makes a big difference in terms of the personal connection and things that you can do with each other. And so I think that's just a huge opportunity to be able to spread that across a lot of our healthcare customers so that they're able to meet with people remotely. But also I think beyond healthcare, I think it's a huge opportunity to leverage virtual reality to have more of those in person or in virtual meetings. Uh, Just being in the same room, it gives you an opportunity of actually feeling like they're present. You could actually feel people's height in terms of how tall they are. If they get really close to you, you can actually feel them in your personal space. And I think it just makes the meetings a little bit more personal and be able to make the connection um, when we can't meet in person to be able to do it together in VR and learn together in VR. I think it really accelerates a lot of the education as well. And that's some of the big pieces that we're focused on, how we can help our healthcare customers accelerate the education across surgeons and other healthcare professionals. What's wild about like what Lisa mentioned, which is such a good point, like even today, we have members of our team at a conference in Nashville and there are customers that they want me to meet with. And instead of setting up a meeting for a few weeks or us to fly out with each other, have a Zoom call, they throw a VR headset, Oculus Quest 2 on, and there I am. And we have a 30, 45 minute meeting in VR and it feels like you're in the room together. And this isn't really something a year ago or two years ago that people probably would have done or really was as feasible as it is now with the the maturity of Quest 2 and our technology and also our attitudes towards the technology as well. So it's really interesting to see not only this use case that Lisa's describing where we are actually a fully remote company and VR enabled at Osos is something we do a lot internally, but we're seeing these kind of hybrid use cases as well where you have someone in the real world, you have people with them, but they're joining a virtual meeting um, as, as part of kind of a, a seamless daily routine, which is pretty interesting. Wayne, I'd love to hear, are you, is there something you're looking for out there as an investor in the AR and VR space, especially for enterprise use cases? Is there something that you wish you, you'd seen as a startup or maybe an idea that you've seen over and over again that isn't working and you might try to like call off some entrepreneurs and say, hey, there's probably other things you could work on? Well, one of the industries I think is is, is pretty interesting application for this technology is um, the auto aftermarkets part industry. If you're all familiar with that, it's a complete scam. And yet there's a lot of consumers who love to work on their cars. So if you can imagine integrating a system directly with IoT so you could you figure out, uh, be notified what's going on with your car, what problem you need to fix. You can immediately click a button on your HoloLens or glasses or what have you and have the, um, the equipment and, uh, and all the parts drop shipped to you, sort of Amazon style. Uh, and then once you, you, know, you would annotate kind of all the directions for what you need to do to fix it, and then you would drop ship everything back. Something like that, I think, could have the potential to implode what is a massive market today that's, that's super scammy. What's the scam there? Maybe we could just talk about like what's wrong with that, spot, that part of the industry. Because yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people, I mean, we're all, everyone's talking about family and how important family is this week with uh, the new Fast and the Furious movie coming out. But I feel like there, there really is a lot of people who really care about this space. Josh is really worried about the rims he just purchased. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just a market that is super high. It's super high margin. And um, there's just not a lot of cost transparency in what you're charged. So if you could figure out a way to go direct to consumer, and actually unlock the consumer being able to, to do a lot of easy fixes on their own, following uh, Justin's footsteps. If, if anybody can be a surgeon, surely everybody could fix, you know, replace a spark plug on their car. And you could do so in a way that's, that's substantially cheaper. Amazing. So I want to recap some of the awesome points that our, our uh, amazing panelists shared with us today. Also check out our previous podcast with founders of and CEOs of 
Facebook, Spotify, Shopify, Slack, WordPress, Signal, Cameo, Substack, Patreon, Carrot, and a ton of other amazing companies, as well as our newsletter. We'd love to have you part of the community. Um, and you'll get to hear some of the takeaways there as well. But some of the things I thought were so interesting that our panelists shared today was that this idea of augmented reality, virtual reality training, it used to be a joke. People really thought that it was never going to arrive. And now it's real. And you know, what you find is that even in surgery and even in, uh, for doctors, a lot of times surgery is generally safe. But there are definitely a lot of situations where you're kind of thrown into it and you don't necessarily know all the contingency plans. And understanding exactly the step-by-step of how to do a procedure can significantly reduce the amount of time it takes to do that procedure, which can be directly correlated with end patient results. And so you really are dealing with all of these dynamic situations all the time. And the more practice you can get, the better. But the problem is that a lot of the education is either 2D, it's in textbooks, it's in images, or it's in sort of rare training sessions on cadavers that are expensive and you have to go somewhere to do them in very like specific time blocks. And so there's a huge opportunity with things like what Oso VR is building, which is virtual reality training for surgeons. Uh, and instead of using like printouts pasted up in the operating room, you can actually train beforehand on a virtual reality headset, go through the motions of doing the exact procedure. You can even do it in a group and have your mentor there to help coach you through the process and give you uh, advice as you're going through it. And you know, surgery is a lot like baking or music, and you really just need to be able to get that memorization done. So you're focused on the actual skill at hand and the process rather than trying to just remember what the next step is. And you know, now that uh, Oso VR has just raised a $27 million funding round from SignalFire, GSR, and some other great investors, uh, they're going to be able to expand this education to even more procedures. And you guys are already seeing a 230 to 306% improvement in surgeon performance compared to traditional training. And if that doesn't prove to you that this is no longer science fiction, this is real, like nothing will. This is happening now. And you, know, you can even start to use the HoloLens to bring people into the operating room and give you advice as you're doing the procedure. And I think that kind of opportunity is really impressive and important for making sure that we get more people able to get the care that they really deserve. Especially when you talk about all the new med tech stuff, like robotic surgery, somebody has to train to use these devices. And I think that those, uh, those med tech providers and device manufacturers are going to want to offer training coupled with those device sales to make sure that they can be used properly. And so while VR is great for immersion, for that you know really high fidelity AAA experience, especially when things are collaborative or you need to really feel like you're there, augmented reality is incredible for just spot instruction, for specific things. And so we see Scope AR is uh, you know helping the aerospace, energy, life science, data center industries, semiconductors to figure out how do you communicate education to a line worker in the moment? Because training in a 2D and uh, 2D uh, materials like textbooks or even just in a classroom is really lossy. I mean, nobody wants to sit through those endless training sessions, but then when they're actually on the job, they really wish they remembered exactly what to do. And so Scope AR has built this PowerPoint for augmented reality where people can use a no-code system to drag and drop together uh, CAD models or simple animations to explain exactly how to do something. And then that can be overlaid either through an augmented reality headset or just through the phones that everybody already has access to. So you can hold up your phone and see exactly what you should be doing. And you know that's there's an incredible way to basically build almost like a, a call center or build mentorship into the cloud where instead of having everybody on the ground being perfect experts, they can 
can be lightly trained. And if they run into a problem, they can kind of radio back to somebody, uh, an expert in the call center who can go from person to person and say, oh, here's what you need to do here. Oh, here's the contingency plan. Oh, this thing is broken. Here's what to do next. And that ability to encode knowledge from one generation to the next is so important for maintaining our infrastructure, for creating new jobs, and for more representation. Because I think one of the problems we see is that, you know, Technology is often destroying old jobs or making them obsolete while creating new ones. And we really need to be able to help people shift jobs more quickly. And if they can go from, you know, taking four months to be able to actually start work after starting training to just two months as Scope AR has shown for some of its customers, you know, that's a really incredible way for people to be able to hire more, for companies to be able to grow faster and for people to be able to find new professions. And while the smart glasses market is advancing quickly and headsets are becoming more cheap, you know, used to be thousand dollars then get a great one for a few hundred dollars and augmented reality glasses are starting to arrive and maybe they don't look so cool, not necessarily something you want to wear out in public, but if you're on the job site, might be a perfect uh, solution to some of these problems. And, you know, enterprises will pay for this stuff because it can mean hundreds of uh, millions of dollars in sales if they can better train sales employees of how to do their demos or just can uh, solve some of these problems without having to, you know, as we said, suddenly have to helicopter or fly, you know, a master technician out into the field to fix some giant piece of construction equipment. And instead, you know, the workers on the spot can just hold up their phone and get that advice about what to do next. You know, it's basically like teleportation and that's incredibly lucrative for just cutting downtime, cutting all that overtime pay that people have to be paid while they're sitting there waiting for a machine to be built. And so I think that immersive training for reskilling is going to be really incredibly powerful. And we're really excited to see what happens next with more soft skills, because while we talked a lot about hard skills, surgery, you know, manufacturing, the ability for people to learn how to just have a bedside demeanor or do sales interactions or do demos, you know, that can be really valuable and that's going to unlock a bunch of new jobs for people. Plus we can use this for job and career exploration. You've suddenly, uh, Justin talked about how with OSA, when they brought OSA into like high schools and middle schools and let kids try it out, suddenly everyone wanted to be surgeons when they saw what it was really like. And if you're a doctor in the profession, being able to explore different fields and find maybe what the exact specialty, which is your passion, you know, that's a huge opportunity. And so I'm really excited to see the soft skills training side happening as well. And meanwhile, you know, we really do need to see this technology expand to specific industries like contractors and home improvement, where there's so much time lost waiting to see if something was done right. There's great opportunities for new businesses in scanning 3D objects to be able to build these kind of training modules. I think that there's going to be opportunities for creators or experts in spaces the way that we see huge businesses being built in YouTube tutorials and people going on showing everything how to fix your bike or how to fix air conditioners or whatever it is, that you can build that skill into augmented reality and really help people do it on the spot. Instead of looking back and forth to your YouTube screen, you could just look right at your object and it tell you how to fix it. As well as in places like the auto parts aftermarket business, where there's big scams, low price transparency. And if you can couple in that training with the device sales or the part sales, you can really make people a lot more efficient and get to enjoy their hobbies. And so I'm just so excited about the vision here, which is the idea that no matter what job, no matter how complex, there can be more people able to earn a great living doing them thanks to these kind of immersive training technologies. But with that, I want to kick it to Scott and then Justin to just a final word out there to maybe the augmented reality and virtual reality industries or anybody out there who thinks that these are really just for gaming or for putting a fake mustache or puking rainbows on Snapchat. You know, why are these technologies something that people should take seriously for the enterprise? Maybe we can start with Scott. 
this technology has is so amazing at transferring knowledge for a variety of things. You know, this is the next step in terms of um, video collaboration was a great first step, but augmented reality has the potential to deliver information directly into your brain in the most efficient way possible until we get uh, neuro uh, implants or, or so it's, it's a great way to, to understand things. I just think it's a, a really amazing path to the future and for training the next generation of students and workers, just an incredible opportunity. Amazing. And Justin, any final words? It's amazing. Like working in technology, it's, you know, everything's kind of a joke until it's not. And uh, I guess that's the art that you and Wayne do of identifying like, you know, what really is going to be the next big thing. And, you know, you look at like uh, crypto or robotics in surgery or what we're doing at Oso, it's just, it's amazing how quickly things can change and, and become standard. And I think these technologies are super, super powerful, but it's really, it's how you use them. And it's a combination of both the platform itself and in our case, the content, but also the structure around it. So, you know, you can't just throw VR headsets at people and expect it to have miraculous results. You know, you, there's change management and getting people to understand where to utilize the technology and, and a bit of training around that. So that's, that's also something to think about. And the last thing I'll say is I'm just riding high on this amazing news and this amazing opportunity we have is that both with technologies like what we're building at Oso with Scott, once again, like we are rapidly approaching a situation where people really can do anything. It's so exciting and just leveling the playing field for people to pursue their dreams and pursue their passions. And I'll say another thing is just like if you guys have an idea or a problem that you're really incredibly passionate about solving and can't think about anything else, just go try and do it. I never thought that I'd end up where I am, uh, where I am today. Um, I knew the statistics that most startups fail, but I knew that I couldn't go on in my life knowing that I didn't try and solve this problem. And here we are today and it's, it's pretty exciting. We still have a long ways to go, but clearly we have an opportunity. So everybody out there in the audience or in the world, you have the ability to do this. You don't need someone's permission. You don't need a special degree. You just need to start kind of going after it. And it's incredible how things just start to kind of materialize. Um, I'm so amazed at where everything is compared to where we started. So I'll, I'll just leave with that. And I'm really excited to see what other companies, uh, Signal Fire backs and incredible technologies we get to work alongside and also what everybody in the audience, what problems they choose to solve and they end up dedicating their time towards because it's there's so many things that can be better in the world and that's a real opportunity and I'm so excited to see just kind of what keeps coming. That's a beautiful sentiment. You know, no matter what it is that you want to build, there's so much incredible knowledge finally out there available through the internet for you to learn. And learning itself is just such a wonderful hobby. It will make you so much more fulfilled than just consuming content. Learn to make something of your own. And so I hope that's what you guys take away from today's show. And whatever it is, you can learn how to do it and it'll make you your life just a little bit better, if not the rest of the world too. So thank you guys so much for joining us here on Press Club. We'll catch you next week, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific on Clubhouse or on our podcast. Thank you guys all for joining us and we'll catch you next time.